This is the Mindfulness and Productivity Systems Podcast with Dr. Serene Sharif. This is a space where we explore how mindfulness, productivity systems, and our thoughts create the magic in our life. I'm here to help and support you if you are struggling with overwhelm and burnout, and you're looking for tools to take control of your time, mind, energy, and productivity. I'm your host, Dr. Serene Sharif, and I am a general surgeon, medical educator, mom to three wonderful children, and wife, which were all instrumental in my journey to be a productivity and burnout coach. I'm excited to share my tools and unique framework to build a community so no one has to go through this alone, empowering each other to find our way out of burnout and overwhelm. We will explore how my mindfulness and productivity systems framework can help you combine the energy of mindfulness with the scientific principles of habit building and your unique systems of productivity. My framework is designed to help you find clarity, design your dream life, and create your transformation. We'll discuss how to overcome limiting beliefs and obstacles that are standing in the way of your dream life, as well as how to create and sustain your new habits in a way that will allow you to finally ditch your willpower and motivation struggles and have more time and energy to live your best life. This is episode number 14. Last week, we discussed about Ramadan. And for anyone who is celebrating Ramadan or not, to just create a reset for our own life. Creating a reset in activities that we do, in projects that we've put off, or in creating a physical or emotional reset in doing something that we've had a hard time until now, but we're just going to hit that reset button and, and see what happens. Maybe giving up our midday snacking or our afternoon coffee that makes it hard for us to go to sleep or our sleep schedule. You can create a reset in any of these things. It's important not to do reset in multiple things altogether because it can be overwhelming. But as you work on your reset, there's so many things that we can really explore with this. And I hope that you've had some time and enjoyed the exploration process of self-discovery and using journaling as a tool to create your reset and to explore what that can mean in your life. Now, before I share our topic for this week, I want to extend a special invitation for all my physician friends to join us to build your time for renewal and reset, to focus on yourself, to renew those promises you made to yourself, to realign with what will serve you, and to reignite your passion for your purpose. The Physicians Coaches Collective is a collaborative effort by physician coaches, and we're honored to share the space and continue to build this empowering community to help you and support you through your transformational journey. We will be having two hours of wisdom on resetting your mind and your body, including resetting your body through connecting to your senses, resetting your day with productivity tips, resetting your mindset to become a confident physician leader, resetting your fitness to get to your next level, resetting your relationships with self-compassion, and taking your career and life an octave higher. And as a bonus, we'll have an hour of group coaching where you get to take all of these pearls of wisdom shared by physician coaches and learn how to apply this to your own life, to your own dreams that you want to launch. So if you started this year with great intentions, but have now fallen back into a rut, if you've decided that you're ready to change and you're curious about 
coaching and what it can do for you, then this is for you. I'll leave more information in the show notes so you can find out more about this program and take the next step for your reset today. With seven physician coaches sharing powerful tools to help you reset on May 8th from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 30% of the proceeds will go to Humanity Auxilium to support humanitarian relief across the globe. Check out our webpage, message me or comment below if you're curious and you want to know more. I would love to see all of you there. This week, I want to continue along this theme of self-discovery and really expand it to connection to our global community. Now, so many people, especially in the last year and a half with the pandemic and everything that's been going on, I've had so many people reach out to me and tell me things that they're struggling with, the changes that they hope to make, and even having this recognition that we are a global community, right? I think this virus has built that awareness more than anything else. None of us are isolated. We are all connected. And this week, what I'd really like to explore and discuss is the understanding that when a community in this earth that we live in suffers, it is a suffering that is shared by all of us. When there are inequalities in health and human rights across the globe and in our country, it affects all of us. We cannot live in a world where subpopulations in our community are marginalized and treated in a way that is inhumane and unacceptable. And we owe it to ourselves as well as to each of our brothers and sisters in our community to speak up and to use our voice to raise awareness, to raise funds to help them, to make a difference, however small it might be, and to speak up and say that we hear them, that you are not alone and your pain is my pain. So I have a very special guest today who will be sharing her personal journey in humanitarian work and how we can all do this even if we have a busy life, even if we have a hundred things that we need to do that we think I want to help others, but I'm going to do it later when my kids are grown up or my job settles down or the pandemic is over or all of the things that we say is keeping us stuck in a place where we are not able to activate our voice and stand up and do the things that we believe in, right? So I'm so excited to introduce her and to share that journey. And I hope you'll tune in for future episodes as we continue this journey of self-discovery and building tools to live our best life. I'm so excited to welcome my special guest today, Dr. Fazia Ali. Dr. Ali is a family medicine physician who also works in long-term care facilities and has done extensive work in humanitarian projects, especially her biggest endeavor is with Humanity Auxilium. I'll let her explain a little bit more about that. But I also wanted to mention that she's been given various awards for her advocacy work, including being a Nobel Prize nominee in 2019 and the recipient of the Advocacy Award in 2019 by CAMSS. Hi, Fazia. So happy to have you here on the podcast. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. And thank you for having me. Absolutely. I am so inspired by your work. And you've really given a different meaning to what it means to live and do what you believe in, even if you are working a full-time job, even if life is crazy. Because a lot of times we tend to think, oh, I'll do that later. And I think you are an inspiration for so many of us who believe humanitarian work is so important, but we struggle with figuring out time or opportunities, et cetera. So I would love to have you share a little bit about your journey and how Humanity Auxilium was born and how you've done that work. Sure, I would love to share my journey. I was, as you said, that I'm a family doc. I got trained in Wisconsin and then I moved to Canada about 14 years ago. So I was
was working in different humanitarian projects in the last few years, 10-15 years, like building an, a girls' orphanage in East Africa and Kenya, as well as building a maternity hospital in Pakistan. But that was in my free time, in my leisure time. So I used to do it whatever time extra, but I was like fully absorbed in our North American luxurious bubble that we have. So Humanity Exilium was born on a hot, humid day in the largest refugee camp in Bangladesh in 2017. So I was hearing a woman, a Rohingya woman, the story, her story that how her baby was snatched from her arm and tossed into the fire and how her husband's throat was slit in front of her. And after that, she was raped for over two weeks period time by different soldiers. It was too much for me to handle. And I noticed a small girl sitting in the dark, barefoot, dressed in a filthy red dress, and she was crying quietly. So when I looked at her, she was about 11, 12 years age, almost the same age as my daughter. And I thought that it was too much for me to handle, let alone this young girl who will be haunted by her father's murder and who has to live with her PTSD-ridden mother in this makeshift camp, along with thousands of other survivors who have escaped genocide and torture. So Humanity Auxilium was born that day. After coming back, I started, I said that, you know, I have to do something. As a physician, we have never done this kind of work and advocacy mm -hmm. work, but I started speaking to my colleagues and people started to notice my story and lots of people started to invite me and share my what's going on. And so I met our prime minister in Canada, Mr. Trudeau, back in 2018. And right two weeks after I met him, Canada declared what's happening to the Rohingya refugees is genocide. My colleagues think that it was my request, but it was like lots of work by lots of activists and lots of volunteers who were doing it. And so that's how it all started. I don't know the girl name of that young girl who was wearing red dress, but her eyes, her story is just seared into my memory. And that's basically drives me to do this kind of work. So after starting with the Rohingya refugee camp, first couple of years, I was traveling back and forth. And I, with my other colleagues, we were doing medical relief in the camps. But then last year, when the pandemic hit, we started doing virtual training of the young docs who were working on the ground. And we expanded Humanity Auxilium to other countries also. So I'm actually very excited where it's all going. And part um, of the reason, actually, is hearing that lots of physicians who want to get, in general, they want to give back to the community, but they don't know where to start. And I have lots of respect for Doctors Without Borders, and I wanted to work with them since I graduated from med school. But the commitment with them is long term. Yeah, you know, we have to do it like with younger children and mm -hmm. full time practice. It's, it's not easy to leave our house for six months. So when I started this work, lots of physicians reached out to me and they said that how we can work with you, how we can go back. So we are sending medical physicians to the camps and other areas in the world where the need is to provide the medical relief, as well as helping with education, because children are such an important part. They are our future. So we are working for education also. That's amazing. And what a blessing for everyone, both those who are involved to provide that service, to provide that help, and all those who receive it as well. And maybe it wasn't your individual voice, but I think every voice counts. And I'm sure you speaking up and sharing your story and, and talking to President Trudeau and all of those things, it all makes a difference. Sometimes we think, what can I do? I'm just a little person. I, I'm just going to sit here and my voice doesn't matter. But every voice counts. And if each of us speak up, when we see things that are not going right, genocide and really crime against humanity, 
humanity. That's what it is. When we speak up for what we believe and what should be equal rights for everyone, everyone has human rights and we should respect that. I think that it does make a difference. And maybe we do it as local grassroots. Maybe it's a more national, international effort. But when we think there's nothing we can do and sit back, that's when apathy sets in. I think that's when it makes it hard to create any change for sure. hundred percent. I agree with you. Honestly, lots of people reach out to me. They say that we are not medical doctors, what we can do. I said that you could do tons of things. You mm-hmm. can volunteer with us or just reach out to your elected representatives, government officials, and tell them that this is genocide and this is not okay. Mm-hmm. This is against the human rights. And you know what? Every little bit of effort on our part that can save thousands of lives. I have learned it. And, and I, I think this is just my personal perspective, but I think the reason why a lot of physicians do contact you is because we went into medicine because we wanted to help and we wanted to make a difference and we wanted to, to do something that was a value. And the way the medical system, the healthcare system is set up, a lot of people are experiencing burnout and feeling like they're just a cog in the wheel and they're replaceable. They're just another cog and sometimes really devalued in that system. And I hope that's changing and, and there will be more changes to come. But that burnout and that sense of depersonalization and feeling like we don't really do anything other than put a seal on something or we're just another person moving the the thing along. But when we do something like this, it really feels there's something that we're doing. It, it matters and we're giving value. And obviously a lot of this is volunteer work. It, it's probably the thing that gives back so much joy in that to the individuals, the physicians who are really just, they want to do something that matters. Yes. And you must have heard the recent studies about the happiness, how to Mm. stay in the Harvard studies and lots of studies that that real happiness is by giving. When we do this kind of work, even like a small acts of kindness, even opening the door for someone, it's Mm -hmm. a small example. We feel the joy that we feel it. So it's the true happiness. And look at that Bill Gates, for example. So he has earned tons of money and now he, he realized that that he started giving away, but mm-hmm. that's the real happiness. And mm-hmm. honestly, sometimes I feel that I feel like a selfish myself that because this kind of work gives me so much joy. And as you were talking earlier, that as a uh, mother, as a physician and with full-time practice and work in Canada, especially the family dogs, it's a little bit different as my work in US. We have very full-time practices and because there's not much specialist available. And besides out of that, if we work and in the scope if we expand our practice, for example, teaching. So I teach residents also at the University of Calgary, as well as they work in long-term care. So it's our hands are really full. Mm -hmm. But then interestingly enough, back in 2017, when I started this work, just just a week ago before this, I was complaining to my husband. I said that I'm feeling like a burnout because I was working one of my physician left in another practice. So I was working in three clinics at that time. And I was traveling, I was working in like rural practice, as well as my practice, as well as covering for another doc. So some days I was working like 16 hours and I said that, my goodness, I have to really do, need to do something. When I heard about the Rohingya refugees, that they were arriving in Bangladesh from the, those Myanmar after being beaten and raped. So I thought I, I knew about this crisis. I was following it since 2015. So I said that maybe I should go and help because I'm a family doc. I know how to deliver babies. Mm-hmm. So I go there. So I just decided this split second. So I thought about it. I was talking to somebody who just came from 
from the camps and I said that, do they need doctors? And they said that, okay, I can connect you. So we made a WhatsApp call and I talked with Dr. Edwan, who was the local doctor working there. I said that, do you need uh, female doctors, female doctors? I can deliver because there was lots of pregnant women who mm-hmm. were arriving there. And that story that touched me, that the, that person that told me that like women were crossing the river and they were delivering babies in the river. One woman was mm-hmm. carrying and then with the hand and a baby in the other hand. So I thought that I, I will go. So, you know, it completely changed my life. Before that, I used to get worried if there's a fresh food for the kids when they come back from school. But after that, I said that we are living such a luxury life. Mm-hmm. If there's not fresh food available, they can just go to the pantry. They can open that warm something, right? I still I still cook every day, but I'm not too worried about these small things in my life. These things like a job stress and these things do not matter. And after that, I decided during that after I'm coming back that I will never Ever, ever complain about my life because I have a bed to sleep on at nighttime. Mm. I have seen young children sleeping under the sky actually in pouring rain. But yeah, it was, yeah, it's completely flipped my life upside down. Oh, I can only imagine. And it's so true when we see and hear those types of experiences, it really makes you think there, there's definitely been lots of studies and, and data out there looking at burnout and struggles and happiness and all of that and things such as gratitude and And really giving to others and helping others, both of those have been such a huge factor and just recognizing, wow, we do have so much and connecting back to the joy in our life. So thank you so much for sharing. And I love that when you shared there, you saw a need, there was something going on that spoke to your heart. You saw a need, you stepped up and you asked, do you need help? Because a lot of times we think, what can we do? And we don't even speak up. But what if we just ask someone, you know, can I help you? What do you need? And it could be someone locally, again, this can be applied in our life in so many different ways. But I think if each of us just spoke up and asked one other person what we can do to help, one of the things that I've been really just struggling with understanding and how we can support and help is the number of physician suicides and and the number of physicians who have gone through so much, especially during the pandemic, but physicians as a profession, our suicide rate, right, is so much higher than the general population. And I don't think a lot of people even realize or understand that. And a lot of times we think, oh yeah, everyone's fine. And then it's a surprise when someone or someone that you care about, someone that you're friends with or that you met at a conference, whatever it may be. And you think, I wish that I had reached out. There's a lot of effort now just even to ask each other, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? Can I help in any way? And you know that we're here for each other to build that community and say, you are not alone. And when you're in that space of despair and anger and frustration and and pain and suffering, right? You, you feel like there's no way out of this and this is just what it is and the only way out you think is something terrible but really there is love and support and ways to get help from that space so yeah just asking how can I help what do you need I think it's such a powerful question yes 100% and you know what the other thing that I often lots of physicians ask me oh how because we haven't done this work before how we can get involved where to start and if I assign them one project and they get how we are going to do it. The thing that I tell them that we don't know our potential unless we put ourselves into that situation. Tell them that you really need to push yourself out of your comfort zones. And growing up, as you said, that I grew up in Pakistan. The mode of education where I studied, it was not English. So English is not my first language. And I never spoke in my life. I was not a speaker. That helplessness of working with those people, that they're witnessing their helplessness and hopelessness, it just pushed me out of my comfort zone. I said that 
that I have to do something. And when again, the, I tell the younger physicians that you really need to start somewhere and just do it. And then you will notice like physicians who are working with me for the last couple of years, I have seen that their total personality have been trans- transformed. Now they are more, more strong, more brave, taking more initiatives. And I think they are better physicians now after getting involved in this work. So I totally believe, I, tr- I agree with you. That's amazing. What are some of the obstacles that you've seen? You mentioned one of it is actually self-belief, the limiting beliefs we have, oh, I can't do it. What are some of the things that you've had to overcome and that you've seen some of the physicians who work with you have had to overcome? You know, the biggest obstacle I feel that sometimes feel that whatever we are doing, like our efforts, like working in those hot, humid climate for days and traveling, taking five planes to get where we need to do and doing the fundraisings and doing whatever we can do. At the end, we feel that all these efforts seem like very meaningless because Mm -hmm. the reason I feel sometimes that because those refugees are still there. When Mm -hmm. four years ago, I started, I was thinking that we are going to tell the world that this isn't happening. And and then we spoke at so many levels, but they are still sitting there beyond our capacity as that because it's it's the, our job of our institutions is the job Mm -hmm. of our governments actually to change it, to give them a piece of land, which they call home. So that's the only obstacle I feel that sometimes when things are outside of our scope. So one day I was sharing this pessimistic thoughts with colleagues. Before one of my presentation, I was just thinking about it. And I said that, you know what I'm doing? I'm telling people this genocide is happening. And still, since I started to get involved, it's mm-hmm. happening more and more at different levels and in different countries. Now we are hearing about the Uyghurs in China and mm-hmm. all of this. So she, she, I often quote her comments and see, she said, sent me a text message and she said that, Fazia, I know that all these efforts you are doing and sometimes feeling meaningless, but think about it that every speaking, speaking engagement you go to, you educate some people. Every post is read by someone. Every comment you write it down is you makes it difference. And she said that, Fazia, if nothing helps, even the, those people, those refugees know that someone cares. I believe that we have to do what we can as a physician because we are guided by this principle that every human life matters and is precious, even the ones far away from homes. So that, that's my belief. And then whenever I see that I have to do because, <laughs> and I hope one day the optimistic in me that one day we will make strong institutions like stronger UN that mm-hmm. never again will never again. It, yeah. It's not so it's lots of politics. And I hope that one day we will make strong institutions that this genocide will not be happening. And just imagine that all the seven billions of us on this planet are living in peace and harmony. Oh, that's beautiful. And I love the thought if nothing else, they know that someone cares about them because they've been through so much. I can't speak for them in in imagining how difficult it is to leave your house and be treated like you don't matter. Your life doesn't matter and your children's life. And so, you know, a lot of times what I have heard too in some of this work is it's each little step. Sometimes it feels like you get this big break, but really it's each person, it's each step. And so we just have to believe that our efforts really do matter and it is going to make a difference. And And we're just building towards that break or we're building towards that big next step. Because I think if we all work together, it it can't not matter. Because look at how many people's voices are raised for for humanity all over. And the reality is that we are connected, even though we've never seen each other. You and I have never seen each other. And just like that, all of these, we've never seen each other, but we're all human. We share that experience. And how can my life matter more than someone else's? That is not right. And I think the more we speak up, it, it matters. 
100%. And but as you said, that we have never met is the first time we're seeing <laughs> these moments of technological changes and all that. Our world is a global village now. I truly believe that we can use this social media and all these technology to, to become like one voice. And like for we have seen that Me Too movement, all these, this and George Floyd, the Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter, this movement. So we can use all these tools to, to help each other to become one voice and to become like a one community, one global community. And raise awareness because a lot of people actually still don't know. Just keep raising awareness and keep increasing the number of voices, a number of individuals who are aware of it and speaking up for it. Now, I know that some of your work involves in connecting with students and there's like student groups as well who who are involved in this. If you could share a little bit about it, because I want to make sure that our listeners know, because some of them are in university, some of them are in, in academic settings. So if there are if there's interest, if there's opportunities, student groups and others can also get involved in something like this. Yes, 100%. So it's actually the students is very interesting. So Queen's University students, they invited me for a talk two years ago. So I went to Kingston, I gave a talk. And after my talk, uh, lots of students, they were undergrad students. So they were asking me that, Dr. Alvi, how we can get involved? Because we don't want to be a full-time physicians or engineers to start getting involved in this kind of work. We want to do it right now. So at that time, I had no idea how I can get involved students. And those were so passionate students. So they kept on reaching out to me. So eventually what they did, they opened a club in their university. So it's a advocacy club, as well as raising the awareness about all different plights in the world. And then few of the students, then they spoke to the other students in University of Ottawa, and they started a club. So we have Mm -hmm. clubs of humanity auxiliary in those. So even those students will graduate, but they will still be a part of that. And I was just invited me to talk actually at the annual event last month and they were sharing their thoughts with me that since they get involved with us they have heard so much about the world and they say that they feel as at the student level also with all their studies that they they are different persons now Mm -hmm. because they started to care they were doing fundraisers so it really fills my heart and I announced to them I said that you know what we will do at Humanity Auxilium we will do a scholarship program send one student with one of our teams to go in wherever it is safe for them to spend some time and students were just like the moon to hear about it and it's, it's really important mm-hmm. I believe that our younger people students mm-hmm. to get involved right now our future humanitarians really important to get them involved so if the students want to sign up with us on our web page humanityexam.com and they can sign up and we can we can get them involved and they can maybe start a club or they can get involved with our work at this level rather than mm-hmm. waiting, you know, maybe 10 years from now, because there's never a better time to get involved in this kind of work. There's always, we have excuses. We find excuses. Why don't we start our job? And then maybe after a few mm-hmm. years, we have babies when we retire, but it's the right time now, right now. I love it. And that's so true. There's no, there's no better time. The need is there. I always used to say, oh, I'll have more time when I, when this happens, when the kids grow a little older, when I'm more settled at work, et cetera, et cetera. And I realized that I'll be happy when time never comes. I got to be happy now. I have to make the time now to do what I believe in. And time is really just what we created to be. So I think that's such a great reminder. So for for physicians or non-physicians, for anyone who wants to know more about this and to help, you know, what are some ways that people can help as well as if they wanted to physically go, I, I know 
with the pandemic, we've had a lot of restrictions, but hopefully it'll open up again. So what are different ways that people can get involved and help in this? There's a lots of ways because we don't, so we are all volunteers. We did not have any employee and we were struggling with our social media and all these things. So we now we have a very part-time, like a few hours every week, part-time person with us, but all of us are volunteers. So different ways. I'm really excited. I want to share my new project with you and we call it Hatch, Humanity Auxilium Teaching Center of Health. I grew up in a developing country in Pakistan. Our teachers were not well equipped about health. So we are starting, starting from Pakistan, but this Hatch project will replicate in different countries. So we are training teachers to act and we are picking actually few of the science teachers to become a health coach. Mm -hmm. So they will, for example, if some child is struggling with ADHD or depression, then they can pick it or nutritional deficiency, Mm -hmm. or if they notice signs of abuse, then they will, we will train them. And our physicians, they will go quarterly, like every three months to do the health screening of those children. And then in each school we are planning. So we are started working with Reed Foundation. They have 390 schools. So we are planning to have a sick room in each school and we will train one of the science teacher to work as a nurse or taking Mm -hmm. care of if somebody has head injury or low blood sugars or blood pressure. So they will do all of those ones. So I'm very excited about this project. So the people who want to get involved, they can sign up and they can tell us they are non-physicians and what their skill set. If they can help us like with social media, with training the teachers or with general relief if they have, Mm -hmm. because some of my patients actually, they are working with me now and they are a part of my core team actually, two Mm -hmm. of my patients. So they are helping me with all these presentations, with the social media, with the project proposals and all of this. There's a lot of work. Absolutely. There's so many ways to get involved and we all have different skill sets, but that's what's beautiful because we can work together and share our own skill sets. So that's great. And then if you could share also, because I know that recently there was a a devastating fire and there was so much damage, including to the hospital. Is there a place if anyone's interested to donating money or, or fundraising with Ramadan? What are some ways that maybe there are people who they might not have the time, but they might be able to do some fundraising or social media or any of those support to help with that as well? Yeah, we desperately need help actually for the Rohingya refugee camps is the largest refugee camps. And there are about 50,000 people who have lost everything again, but they had their shelters are gone, all of their clothing, all of those gone. So people can donate, they're going and they can go to our website actually, and they can donate there. Also, we are doing orphan sponsorship. Children's are very close to my heart and lots of us actually, we are very sensitive about orphans. So we are doing orphan sponsorship in the refugee camps in Rohingya, as well as Syrian children's. We are doing orphanships, Uyghur children who are in exile, whose parents are dead or in the concentration camps, as well as we are doing orphans in Pakistan and Yemen. I don't know how many people know about Yemen. It's like one of those things that really, it's a country of 20, 22, I believe, 22 millions mm-hmm. is starving right in front of our eyes. Back in 2000, at the end of 2018, I was ready to pack my bag and head to Yemen. I could not find at that time any stronger organization to back me or if I get into difficulty because lots of relationship with Canadian government and the Saudi government. So I was not allowed actually basically to go to Yemen. But this is another tragedy that one in five Yemenis is dying of hunger right now, right in front of us. And how little we know about it, how little is coming in the media. So we are trying to help giving Yemeni children like the nutrition because Mm -hmm. children are dying every day with the malnutrition. So we are giving them food rations. So if anybody wants to 
donate and want to sponsor Yemeni children, then they can go to our website. Okay, thank you so much for sharing. And I'll put all of that information in the show notes as well. Now, if you could go back in time and, and talk to your younger self, is there anything you would tell your younger self? You know what, I would get involved if I go back when I graduated, I would start involving in this kind of work, helping other right from the day one. We should not wait. There's never a better time. We should mm-hmm. start getting involved and help each other. And I, I believe that my life would be much better even now. And whatever we do as a parents, it has a strong impact on our children also. We are the role models for them. So whatever we are doing, we are leaving actually footprints for our children. Mm-hmm. So I strongly believe it's my faith that if we are doing good to the others, then our children will be treated good. And also our children will be a better human beings, better humanitarians, and this world will be a better place, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. If any of our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, if you could just share, what's the best way to reach you? Is it through the website or is there an email? It's through the website. There's an email to contact us and they can reach out to me. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. And again, I'll include all of that information in the show notes. So everyone will have a chance to connect with you and get to know you more and start uh, start or continue because I know a lot of people are already doing humanitarian work, continue their journey in this. And I think if each of us just do a little bit every day, it makes such a huge difference. I really appreciate the time that you've spent with us today and all the wisdom that you've shared and all the inspiration. So thank you so much for joining us today. For my listeners, if there are any topics that you want to hear more, please drop a comment below. I would be happy to add those to our weekly content. For all those listening, thank you for joining us today. If you found this valuable, please like, subscribe, leave a review on iTunes and share it with a friend or two. I would so appreciate that. I would love to hear from you. If you have a story to share about burnout or overwhelm, please reach out to me so we can continue to build this community so no one has to go through burnout and overwhelm alone. You can reach out to me at my website, serenitywellnessmd.com or Mindfulness and Productivity Systems Facebook page or at Serenity Wellness MD on Instagram. The content of this podcast is not meant to be medical advice. Tune in for the next episode coming to you every Thursday morning. Goodbye for now.